Oh, that'd be even fun if it wasn't so true. <laughs> is God good? He really is. I tell you what, what a blessing. What a blessing to be here this morning. My heart is already very, very full of God's goodness. Well, take your Bibles, please, and go ahead and turn to Joshua and chapter 7. As we talk about American idols today. Now, now may, let me, I did this last week. Let me do it again. So, are there any Jesus followers here? Are there, come on now. Come on, make some noise. Are there Jesus followers? Come on. Come on. Come on, don't be afraid. Come on. Good deal. Great, great. Now, now just a word of disclaimer. No, we're not going to do that every week, okay? It's not a new little gimmick to get some noise, all right? But it's important today. Because what we're going to talk about is idols, and, and I want to go back to, now, they're gonna make, we're going to make two quick pit stops. I've really got to be careful, or else it could be like a really long message today. But, but you know, we've got to make a couple pit stops, and this is why this one's important. Now, y'all heard of the thing called the Ten Commandments? Okay, well, I really quick want to look at uh, a number uno. Now, I take mine from Deuteronomy chapter 5, okay, that's like the second giving of the Ten Commandments. But, but here's what this says. I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord, your God. Now, see, your implies, like, relationship. Your implies that, wait a minute, so, so like, we're in relationship, me, me and God are in relationship. See, the Ten Commandments were not given to bring a person into relationship. In other words, you behave this way and you're in with God. It was, the, people, the children of Israel were already in relationship with God. It's proven right there. I am the Lord, your God. We're in relationship. So the Ten Commandments are about how we're supposed to live. Okay? So he says, uh, as believers, So I am the Lord, your God, now watch, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. That's why we need to, when, when somebody says clap for God, whoa, we need to turn loose. Because listen, spiritually, we were once in the land of Egypt. We were lost. We were a land of darkness. We were sinners, unforgiven sinners, in the hands of a very righteous God. But he brought us out of the land of Egypt, and, and he says this, out of the place of slavery. Once I was a slave to sin, a slave to Satan, and when I met Jesus Christ, I came in relationship with God. He brought me out of that dark land and set me free from the power and the bondage of sin. Now, if you know Jesus, if you're a Jesus follower, that's what's happened to you, okay? See why we have to make noise every once in a while? That's pretty incredible. All right, now watch this, though. Then he says this. Do not, talking to believers, do not have other gods besides me. So uno, number one command is no other gods. Top of the list. Number one, and I guess he could have more than ten, but number one in the group of ten, when you're in relationship with God, you can't have any other gods. Got it? None. Okay, and then he goes on and says this. He says it a little bit clearer. He says, do not make an idol for yourself in the shape of anything in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. So if you're going to be in relationship with me, you have no other gods, and you can't create for yourself idols. Okay, now, now for them, it meant like little, little things you put on a shelf or a big pole you would carve a certain way. And those represent other gods, and those were idols. But see, America is a land of idols too. Hence the title, American Idols. We live in a land, and we may not have a little fat guy with a big belly button sitting on a shelf somewhere, and we go, oh, Buddha, oh, Buddha, okay? But we have our idols. See, an idol, now listen carefully and write this down if you're taking notes. An idol is anything that we place before God. Anything. It could look like your child. It could look like your husband or wife. It could look like your religion. It could look like what you do as a Christian. It could take the shape of a four cars with a steering wheel. It, it could take the shape of a very nice or not so nice house. It could be a career. It could be a title by your name. It could, it could be students. It could be the desire to be the top dog, the top dog on campus wherever you attend high school or middle school. So any one of those things are idols. And God says, if you're going to be a follower of mine, if you're going to be in a relationship, a sign of that is, uno number one is, you cannot have any other God. You cannot create an idol. And here's the deal. It's so prevalent in American culture. And it's prevalent in the church today. Now, somehow, somehow there's a link. 
And there's a link between irresponsibility and idols. When we make something an idol, it's something that we worship, it's something that we covet, okay? When we do that, we have a tendency to pursue at all cost. The reason why, if you go to Mike Maynard's store, the appliance store, okay, free advertisement there, and you go in his office, there's all these really nice deer racks, bucks, great antlers, okay? And the reason why they're on his wall and not out in the forest is because they had a doe that they made an idol. And they all acted irresponsibly and walked in front of of Mike's bow or gun, and they died. Hence, they are on his wall. So there's a connection between pursuing idols and acting irresponsibly. In our, in our world, it looks like when we, when we again, we, we pursue something, we pursue a career, and all we can think about is advancement, advancement. Who suffers? Our family. When, when we pursue someone outside of the marriage covenant, we have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, what suffers? The marriage, the family, the children, the spouse? If we, if, we, if we act irresponsibly and we pursue um, financial things like we buy cars we can't afford, houses we can't afford, things we, can, we go places we can't afford, and we end up with like debt up to our eyeballs, we act irresponsibly, who suffers? All those around us. So that's what we want to learn today, is that when we pursue idols, and we do it in America all the time, okay, it's... See, we're not going to have to leave this 1,400 years ago. We're going to bring it up to the 21st century. If we pursue idols, okay, that will cause us most likely to act irresponsibly. And here's, here's what I want you to write down. Uh, thanks to Andy Stanley for this, these words, okay? Our irresponsibility is always someone else's responsibility. Our irresponsibility always becomes someone else's responsibility. It was true then, and it is true now. So hang on. I'm going to tell you a story, okay? We've got the children of Israel. They started out with 45 people, okay, in the land of Egypt. They've grown to 2 or 3 million. As we've heard over the past days, we had the great exodus, and they left all that. They've wandered around the wilderness now for 40 years because of disobedience, and they are now fixing to enter the promised land. Now, to do that... They've got to run out a whole bunch of people because all through the promised land were all these people. And so basically Joshua's going to walk up and knock on the gates and say, I'm high. Uh, my name's Joshua, and we're, the, we're God's children, all the two million back here. And we've got news. Um, you've got to leave. Um, you see, God has promised this land to us, and so you, you're going to have to leave. Well, it doesn't exactly work like that, does it? Like, you think they're going to roll over and play dead? But, but you, might, you might be asking the question, so, so what gave them the right? And we're like, what gave God the right? Well, he is God. But gave God the right to walk up and say, you're out of here. We're moving in. This is our land. We're moving in here. And I want you to take your Bibles and go back to Genesis chapter 15. I want to show you something. This is the second road stop. This is important, the second road stop, okay? It's going to help you. If you're wrestling with that issue, it's going to help you some. But it's also going to show you the incredible faithfulness of God. In Genesis chapter 15, verse number 13 through 16, here's what we read. Going all the way back to Abram and Abraham. Okay, Abram, same guy. Abram, who got name changed to Abraham. God said to Abram, No, certainly. Now, this is, this is 600 years before they're going to the promised land. Say 600 years. Is that a long time or what? I mean, that's older than most everybody here. That's older than Ken Erickson. I mean, we're talking like old, okay? All right, so, so, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them for 400 years. Does that ring a bell? How long was it shown to Israel for in Egypt? 400 years. So 600 years before all of that, God is saying, you need to know, Abram, that your people are going to end up in a place called Egypt, and they're going to be afflicted not for 10 years, not for 70 years, but for four. Isn't that incredible that, that God told Abram that 600 years before it actually happened? That's just incredible. All right? 
And also, the nation whom they serve, I will judge, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. Exactly what happened. God zapped Pharaoh with great curses, and eventually, and the, the parting of the Red Sea drowned the entire Egyptian army. And, 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 and the children of Israel said, plunder the people when you leave. So people were knocking on the door for the Israelites to leave and saying, here, we want you to go, and here, take some gold with you. Just like God said. That's pretty incredible, all right? Then, verse 15. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. And that's exactly what happened. Verse 16. This is important. But in the fourth generation, now's time. In the fourth generation, they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Abram, there's a culture of the Amorites. And one day the Trump Israel are going to be responsible for removing that culture. I'm going to use them to remove that culture. Why? The culture of that area was so evil. Child sacrifice was a regular part of their worship. The abuse of women was so prevalent that God said, Abram, there's come a time and I'm going to use your people to re- totally remove a culture from the face of the earth. And what we see, now that's not very satisfying, okay? But that gives you the reasoning that God said 600 years, said, I'm going to remove the Amorites because of their, their culture is so evil that I'm going to use you to remove that culture. And if you're a God follower, to know that 600 years before all this happened, that every prediction that God made to Abram came true, ought to kind of bless your heart. Can I have an amen? Because you see, like Kate, where's Katie? Awesome, love that song. So what if your, your, your blessings do come through raindrops? What if you cry a thousand tears? What's a thousand nights? You'll know the faithfulness of God. That even though you're in a dire strait right now, your God is going to be faithful. So, in fulfillment of that prophecy given to Abram in Genesis chapter 15, we now move back to to Joshua chapter 7. So here they are. They're poised to walk into the promised land. The first obstacle is Jericho. Say Jericho. Jericho. A strong, fortified city. Okay? And God is going, in a way miraculous way, just turn the city over to the Israelites. Okay? A little bit of the story. They're going to march around the city you know, once a day for seven days. On the seventh day, seven times. The walls are literally going to collapse, okay? And the Israelites are going to rush in and take the city. It is going to be incredible. But God said, now this is important for the story. God said, now listen. I know that normally in the spoils of war, whatever you get, you keep. Not so for Jericho. Everything in that city is consecrated to me. All the animals, the people, all of that is to be destroyed. And the silver and gold goes into my treasury. Now, this is important. If you don't do this, you're going to get in deep trouble. Okay? Just for Jericho, the spoils of war are mine. Destroy the city, the silver and gold goes into my treasury. Well... They did exactly that. The walls fell down. They rush in. They conquered Jericho. But I'm going to give you an inside tip. There was a guy. Which is pretty cool, by the way. I'm surprised there weren't a lot of guys. But there was a guy. And his name was Achan. And Achan got to looking around all that spoils lying around and said, You know what? That's not really fair. I mean... I'm a warrior, and warriors get the booty. So, so he, he takes some silver and some gold and a very beautiful garment and puts it in a knapsack. He hides it. And no one knew it. Okay? No one knew it. Just, just Achan. Maybe his wife. I don't know. Maybe his wife. But no one knew it. And you know what? There was not an instant... Nothing. So Jericho's conquered, and they move on. So they move on, and the next city to be conquered is Ai. And Ai is a very small city. So Joshua sends some spies up to Ai and says, go check it out. They come back and say, dude, dude, compared to this, compared to Jericho, 
this one is way easy. It's a small city. It's not firmly fortified. There's few men there. I wouldn't trouble all the people. Don't send all of them up. Just send, oh, maybe two or 3,000. So Joshua says, that's cool. And so he, he, he doesn't send two. He sends three. You know, might as well be on the safe side, right? So he sends 3,000 guys up there, and they get up to Ai, and they get whooped. I mean, the, the guys from, I guess you call them Aiites. I don't know. Anyway, the people from Ai, they come out, and they just begin whooping up on the, the men of, of Israel. And so the Israelites start running down the hill, and, and I know it doesn't sound like a lot, but 36 men died. But more importantly, Israel was soundly defeated. And the Bible says that their hearts, you know, the heart of the guys, you know, remember when they conquered Jericho, we could do this, yay God, no one can beat us, man, we're tough. All of a sudden their heart becomes like water. And they're going, oh no, what are we going to do? I mean, if AI beat us, who else can beat us? And what's going on? And that's where we want to pick up. And so about this time, Joshua says, Hey, God, which is what we do when we're in trouble. You may not pray any other time, okay? You may have to look up God's number in your contact list, but when trouble comes, what do we do? Hey, y'all do it with me. Hey, God. Do it one more time. Hey, God. Look what he says. We're now in Joshua chapter 7, verse number 5 through 9. 6 through 9. Then Joshua tore his clothes, and fell below the ark of the Lord with his face to the ground until evening, as did the elders of Israel. They all put dust on their heads. Okay, you know, he's down. Boy, he's saying, boy, some, something is obviously wrong. He's not sure, but something is obviously wrong. And look what he does. Oh, Lord God, verse 7, Oh, Lord God, Joshua said, why did you ever bring these people across the Jordan to hand us over to the Amorites for our destruction? Do you see what he does? Now watch. The first thing he does is exactly what most of us do. When there's a crisis, we blame God. God, this is obviously your fault. You said you would be there for us. You said nobody could defeat us. You said you would fight our battles for us. God, you said. God, you said. God, you said. Well, why, why did you even bring us across the Jordan? And that's exactly what we do. When a crisis comes to our life, for most of us, our first instinct is to blame God. God, you failed me. God, you didn't. God, you said. God promised this and you didn't come through. God, you, I don't understand God. I'm going to find me another God. So, so we find them do, him doing exactly what most good Baptists, most good church folks would do. He begins to blame God. And they watch this. He says this. If only, how many of you have if only? If only we had been content to remain on the other side of the Jordan. God, we should never trusted you. Life was good on the other side of the Jordan. No one messed with us. It didn't rain on us. There are no storms for us. Life was pretty stinking good. We should have never trusted you and crossed that river. How many times have you done that? And at some point in your life, it seemed the right thing, the logical thing to trust God, to, to become a believer in God, to, to put your faith and trust in Jesus. And you said, yay, Jesus, yay, Jesus, yay, Jesus. And boom, a crisis comes in your life. And you say, God, I should never trusted you. I was better off down at the bar with the boys than I am now. I was better off doing my own thing than I am with you. And we do that. We do that. Look what else he says. What can I say, Lord? Now that Israel has turned us back and run from its enemies. I'm a commander. I am a leader. I'm a general. How in the world am I going to go now to my army and say, come on, guys, let's go. God, you've undermined me. You've undermined me, God. You, you, you've dug under me. You, you've just made my leadership of no effect. 
God, you've undermined my life. God, I said I would follow you and that you were good. And all of a sudden, you take a turn that doesn't seem good to me. God, it seems to me like you kind of turned your back on me. And I like the last part especially well. Verse 9. When the Canaanites and all who live here, those Amorite people, in the land hear about this, they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. Then, I like this, then what will you do about your great name? God, you understand, if we lose these battles and I, if we die, what are people going to say about you? God, you better come through. You better save my marriage. You better give me a job. You better heal me because I told people that I'm a follower of yours and, and, and that my God can do stuff. And God, if you don't do it, what will people say about you? That almost sounds like blackmail. Have you ever been there before? Have you ever seen a person? We wouldn't. We're real spiritual. But have you ever seen a person who claims to be a Christian kind of do that stuff? Look to your left. Look to your left. Now look to your right. You've just seen somebody. Oh, look down. <laughs> it's us. It's us. It's us. Now watch. Very gratefully, God responds. Joshua goes, hey, God. <laughs> and God goes, Hey, Joshua! Look what he says. Verse number 10. The Lord said to Joshua, Stand up! Why are you on the ground? Joshua, get up! Why are you on the ground? There's a very important lesson that you need to learn today that Joshua is learning. There's a time to pray and a time not to pray. If God has already covered something, you don't need to pray about it. Now, you remember I told you, if you go back and read Joshua 6, you're going to find where God said, okay, the stuff in the city is clearly devoted to me. Destroy this. The gold and silver goes in the treasury. And if you, if you don't do that, great trouble will come upon you. Joshua should have put 6 and 4 together and get 10. Let's see. God said, if we don't do something, great trouble is going to come. We're in great trouble. I bet it's not God. I bet it's us. What an original thought. He learned what we need to learn. Listen. God, what do you think? I'm unhappy in my marriage. What do you think about an affair? I know, God, you want me to be happy. After all, God, isn't that your pur purpose in life is that I might be happy? And God, she's not making me happy. He's not making me happy. What do you think, God? You don't need to pray about that. God, what do you think about finances, being fiscally responsible? God, do you think I'll go ahead and buy that $50,000 car, even though I only make $20,000 a year? What do you think, God? God, you don't need to pray about that. Hey, hey, God, I really want to be, listen, I want to be popular in school. I, I, I'm a student at, at, at Harrisburg High, and I want to be popular, God. And the way I can be popular is if I go to that party on Friday night, yes, God, I know we're all 17, and our parents are getting us booze. What do you think, God? Can I go because I want to be popular? Uh, that would be a no. Why do we waste time praying about what God has already addressed? You ought to read your Bible. You ought to read your Bible. It'll save you a whole lot of trouble and a lot of time in your prayer lives. So, stand up while you're on the ground. Get up. Quit praying. Israel has sinned. Now, now, now. Because we're in the, in the know, we pause and say, time out, God, you're wrong. It wasn't Israel. You see, it was Achan. And God would say, no, no, wait, wait, wait just a minute. Israel has sinned. They have, wait, 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 God, wait, wait. It's not a they. God, it's a he. <laughs> see, he has sinned. God says, no, wait, 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 wait. They have violated my covenant that I appointed for them. They got, no, no, wait. They have taken some of what was set apart. They have stolen, deceived, and put the things with their own belongings. You see, God is telling us something. Is that Achan's irresponsibility became Israel's responsibility. See, you, you love to sit and say, hey, I'm a man. 
Hey, I'm a woman. And my irresponsibility impacts only me. What world are you living in? What world? Hey, if I want to sin, it's my business. What world are you living in? Your irresponsibility, whether it's about money or marriage vows or what you do on Friday nights, whatever it is, your irresponsibility impacts all those around you and becomes their responsibility. Can I have an amen? This is huge, guys. This is huge. It, it's, listen, it's true between a couple. It's true in a family. Come on. Come on. You let Jane decide she's going to go to that party and get stoned out of her brain and it's busted. Now mom and dad are faced with that dilemma and going out and bailing her out of court. Her sin all becomes in very important to mom and dad's sin. You let Joe want a girlfriend on the side and all of a sudden it impacts not only him, it impacts his wife, it impacts his children. It's true in the church. Somehow we got the feeling that Okay, you know, I can go ahead and do this as long as I get my prayer closet and say, God, I'm sorry for it. And get up and do the same thing the next day and the next day and the next day. That somehow it doesn't impact corporate worship. It does. When, when people come to church to worship, and like last night, you were with someone else. And last night you were stoned out of your brain. Well, let's make it simple. Before you walk through those doors, you were mad at somebody. You're upset with somebody. You're angry at somebody. You gossip about somebody. And we wonder why we don't see revival. We wonder why God can't. We will say, well, if we had us a newer preacher, when them young buck preachers. Well, I'll buy me some hair dye. <laughs> if, we, if, we, if, we just, if we just had this, if we just had that, honey, 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 honey. Most likely the problem that we're not seeing revival is probably not one person like the pastor could be, but it's all the junk that we allow to go unconfessed. And our corporate sins affect us corporately. What about a nation? What about a nation? We have heard much about the economic situation. And someone's irresponsibility has become all of our responsibility. It's impacted us. To learn this. Write this down. Write that down. You know, when I'm irresponsible, someone has to pick up the slack and becomes their responsibility. Huge. 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 Verse 12. This is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. There's a reason. It's not me. My hand's not shortened. I'm changed, God said. Okay? This is why. And then, then God becomes a prophet and says, I'm going to predict your future. He says... They will turn their backs and run from their enemies because they have been set apart for destruction. You go ahead. Listen, Joshua, you're a commander. Go ahead and call the army together. But until this is taken care of, you're going to be defeated every single time. Look what he says. These are strong words. I will no longer be with you unless you remove from you what is set apart. Until you remove that accursed thing, I'm not going to be with you. And these are the children of God. Is that true? The principle is true today. The principle is true today. God says when there's sin, you've got to, one, remove it, two, repent of it, and then three, allow God to restore. Write those down. You've got to remove it. See, what we like to do is repent. Okay, God, I'm really sorry, you know. Uh, God, I'm glad I could tell you and not my wife or my husband or my children. But anyway, God, I'm sorry. And we get up and we don't remove it. We do the same thing over again. And tomorrow or the next day or next Friday night, we're back in our prayer closet again. Hey, God, me again. God says, if you want me to go with you, if you want my power, if you want my wisdom, if you want my strength, if you want me to impact your children, if you want me to impact your families, if you want me to impact your church, if you want me to impact your world, you've got to remove the sin. You've got to repent of the sin, turn away from it, and then I can act to restore. Have you heard the saying, two out of three is not bad? In this case, two out of three ain't enough. 
So, God continues. Verse number uh, 13. Go and consecrate the people. The word consecrate means set apart, sanctify, get them ready. Tell them to consecrate, consecrate, to prepare themselves for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Tell them this. There's a cause and an effect. Write that down. There's a cause and an effect. There are things that are set apart among you. That's the cause. You have violated my word. God would say you day as his children. If there's something in your life, and obviously something's wrong, there is probably a sin in your life you need to deal with. There's a cause. And the effect is this. You will not be able to stand against your enemies until you remove what is set apart. You've got to get the answer. There's a problem, and the answer is remove that sin from your life. Okay? Not say I'm sorry. Not, not go to therapy. You need to remove the sin from your life. Huge. Then God says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to, tomorrow morning, we're going to get a tribe, and we're going to get a clan, we're going to get a family. And I'm going to show you the person that's responsible for this. Okay? Now skip to verse 15. The one who is caught with the things set apart must be burned. And that is literal. Must be burned along with everything he has because he has violated the Lord's covenant and committed an outrage in Israel. He tells you up front, listen, it's going to be costly. This is not going to be pretty. It's going to be costly. So, they go through the process. Next day, people show up. They consecrate themselves. And they choose a, a tribe, which was Judah. I can get that one. The rest of them are going to have to read the word. Okay? They get Judah. Then they get a clan. And then they get a family. And they get down to our friend named Achan. Say Achan. Achan. Okay? So, here he is before Joshua. You, I mean, he's been called out. <laughs> okay? Here he is before Joshua. His face is red. He's going, and here's what Joshua says to him. Hey, Achan, Joshua here. Joshua said, Achan, my son, verse 19, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel. Make a confession to him. I urge you, tell me what you have done. Don't hide anything from me. So, Achan... Now listen, this, what I'm going to say is going to be very important for you and me. Achan, it's time to come clean. I'm giving you the opportunity to do the right thing. God in His grace and mercy often gives us the opportunity to do the right thing. Once He's spoken to our heart, once we know their sin... He gives us an opportunity to do the right thing. Write this down. This is the important thing. It does not remove consequences. When we do the right thing, and that restores the fellowship with God, it does not remove the consequences. I can see it now. You're doing 85 on your way to Marion, you look in your every mirror, white and yellow, whoop, 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 whoop. Like I said, they flash now. They don't whoop, whoop, whoop anymore. You get pulled over. Can I see your license? Can I see your insurance card? Do you understand you're doing 85? You know, I really do. I, I was in a hurry, and yes, I was doing 85. But, 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 I want you to know something. I am so sorry. I mean, I, you know, you know, if I was at home right now, I would get my, I would, I would pray right now and say, God, I know I was wrong for sinning, and God, I, I just turned from that. God, I, I, I turned from that. And the officer's going to go, oh, well, hey, I ain't going to give you no ticket. You're really sorry? Yeah, I'm really sorry. Well, no consequence there. You get in your car and go on. I'm sorry I even messed with you. Is that how it works? No, it doesn't. And you know what? It don't work with God either. We live in a world where if we act irresponsible, there are consequences. You can tell God you're sorry for being $18,000 with credit card debt, and He'll forgive you, but don't wake up tomorrow expecting Visa to be paid off. You can commit adultery. Don't go tell your wife and expect God all of a sudden, oh, well, I told her I was sorry, so she's just supposed to forgive me, and everything's going to be hunky-dory. There are consequences, and they are huge. 
So Achan responds to Joshua. Say, hey, Joshua, this is Achan. Look what Achan says. This is very revealing. And this is verse number 20 and 21. Achan replied to Joshua, it's true. I have sinned against the Lord. Pause. Did you see anything missing there? No excuses. It's true. I have sinned against God. But God, you know, it wasn't fair of God. I mean, you know, if, if he... If he really didn't want to take the gold and silver, then why did he like zap it from heaven? It was gone. I mean, I only did what a man in my position would do. She presented herself to me. (laughs) He was so pushy. There's no excuse. And guess what? There's no excuse. Whatever your sin is, You've got to reach a point where you can tell God, God, there's no excuse. I was just irresponsible. So he says, that's true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. And this is what I did. He looked like he lays it out. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful cloak of Babylon, 200 silver shekels, and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted, I worshipped, I made them an idol. I made them an idol. And, and I took them. Well, you can see for yourself, they are concealed in the ground inside my tent with the money under the cloak. Aiken says, this is what happened. I saw them, I made them an idol, and I pursued that. And I achieved it. I got it. In fact, they're in my tent, hidden. Now, what I want to do, and we're doing a little bit, we're doing pretty good on time. But I've got to take you to James real fast. Because if if you've ever done this, you're going, you got a moment for testimony, Dwayne, I'll come up on stage and I'll tell you exactly how it happens. But you may be sitting there going, how does that happen? I don't understand how a man can get, I mean, God said, for goodness sake, Dwayne, God said, how can he do that? In James chapter 1, let me just read it to you. In James chapter 1, verse 12, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, when it's over, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now listen to this. This is really important. This is James chapter 1, verse number 12 through 15. Let no one say, hey Joshua, are you listening? Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. Achan, are you listening? Okay, okay. I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted by evil... Nor does he himself tempt anyone. It's not God's fault. Say, it's not God's fault. It's not God's fault. The irresponsibility stops on me. It's not God's fault. But here's how it happens. But each one, every person, when he is tempted, when he's drawn away by his own desires and ties, when you covet, When you seek an idol, when you say, I want that, I want her, I want him, I want to be popular in high school, I, 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 all right? Then, when lust, desire, when coveting has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. That's what happens. We're going down the road one day. We see something. We covet after it, and we want it. We see a girl. We see a man. We, we see a position at, at high school. I want to be. I want to be. And we just lust after it. And lust leads to sin, and sin leads to death. Now, in Aiken's case, it was physical death. Maybe not in yours. But again, if we had time, could we not all come up on stage and say, let me tell you what died in my sin. For, for some of you, you were taking stuff from work. You know, wasn't much. You know, a couple of pads of paper, a couple thousand dollars, but they got lots. And you got caught. And your integrity died. You can talk all you want about, I'm a Christian. But you lost your testimony. It died. Some of you sitting there and you're going, I couldn't resist, Dwayne, and I had to have her. 
And uh, your marriage died. Your marriage died. Some of these kids sitting right here have moms and dads. And your witness to your kid died. You know why? Because they walked in the room and you're watching or you're drinking or you're taking. And they went, they gripe at me about don't drink, don't do drugs, don't watch that. They're doing it themselves. And you lost all right to parent your child in that area. It died. When sin is full grown, it brings forth death. Guys, I'm telling you, your responsibility is huge, whether spiritual or physical or fiscal. It's huge. And it will ultimately lead to be someone else's responsibility, and it will impact your world. And you're not going to like this. I don't even like this. Somehow it just doesn't seem fair. Listen to these words. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the cloak, the gold, his sons, his daughters. I'm not sure where the wife is in this. His ox, his donkey, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had brought them to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why have you troubled us? Today the Lord will trouble you. So all Israel stoned them to death. They burned their bodies, threw stones on them, raised up to him a large pile of rocks that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore that place is called the Valley of Achor, which means the Valley of Trouble. And your sense of justice, you're going, not fair! That son did nothing! That daughter did nothing! Those... What's that organization for animals? PETA? Oh, PETA would have a fit. The donkey didn't take the gold. This is unfair. Would you all agree? This is called entrapment. Because the next time you act irresponsibly, and your kids are destroyed, and your marriage is destroyed, and your integrity is destroyed, Would you remember that? The next time you sin and impact your children and your family and your church and they did nothing and their life is totally impacted for the rest of the time they walk on this earth, would you remember that before you act irresponsibly? Would you remember that before you go out and sleep with someone or take something or drive under the influence? Would you remember that? It's not fair to your kids. It's not fair to your wife. It's not fair to your husband. It's not fair to your church. It's just not fair. Remember that. I'm telling you guys. We just came from a conference. And it was very clear in this conference. That North America is, not becoming, is one of the most lost and carnal places. On the face of the earth. It's incredibly lost. Incredibly dark. Incredibly simple. And that's why this is so important. If you want to save a marriage. If you want to save your children. If you want to save your reputation. Your integrity. This is huge. We've got to learn to act responsibly. And I'm so glad. I don't have to leave you there. Let me read just some verses. And write the reference down. Okay. Proverbs chapter 4, 20 through 23. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20. Are you writing it down? I mean, I, you're not going to remember this. Proverbs 4, 23. How do you, Dwayne, how do you stop the irresponsibility? How do you put a roadblock up to that? Okay? My son, Solomon speaking. My son, give attention. Pay attention to my words. Incline your ear to my face. In other words, hey, read your Bible. Pay attention and incline your ear toward this book. It's not rules. Remember? It's a life book of instruction. God's going to tell his people how to live successfully. How to avoid the pitfalls. How to avoid the pain. How to avoid the struggles. Okay? All right? Verse 21. 
Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. In other words, ingest them. Ingest them into your life. Make them part of who you are. So when the temptation comes, you'll have an answer from the Word of God how to answer that temptation. When she comes on to you, when he comes on to you, when you're tempted to go to the party on Friday night, when you're tempted to steal because after all it's not fair, he's got so much and you've got so little. Put it in your heart so God will give you an answer, a weapon, some strength. Verse 22, for they, the words, are life to those who find them and health to all of their flesh. Not bondage, freedom. And this last verse is huge. Keep guard your heart with all diligence. Above all, guard your heart. Why? For out of it springs the issues of life. What? Listen, listen, I'm done, I'm done. Listen. Whatever you put in your heart is going to determine how you live. However, whatever you put in your heart is going to determine how you live. Now, you know what I know. And forgive me for picking on Ferris. You know, the reason I pick on Ferris is because this is the nuclear bomb. It's the big one. That's why. And in our society today, you just say you had an affair, you know what they say? So what? Everybody does. Now, come on, everybody cheats. Come on. If you put that in your heart, and he comes on, she comes on, if that's in your heart, you're going to use the world's standard, and the world says, go ahead, who cares? And you'll destroy your children, you'll destroy your marriage, you'll destroy you. So whatever we put in our heart determines how we live. That's why this is so incredibly important. That's why 2012, his story, my story, is so important. I really hope. I was talking to one of my brothers before church. And I asked if he was doing the, the, the plan we're doing. He goes, no, I've got my own plan. I'm doing another plan. It thrilled me that this young man was committing to read the Bible this year. How thrilling. Are you doing that? Are you doing Not Not I wrote. Not, okay, the preacher said we've got to read the Bible. But read the Bible for life. For living. That's all it is. Take it home. My irresponsibility always becomes someone else's responsibility. When we act irresponsible and unresponsible and sin, it becomes someone else's responsibility, and they are impacted. Now, my invitation today, my time of decision today, you know, I give you all this information. What am I supposed to do with it, Dwayne? Is, is this? David led us through a couple of incredible songs that talked about this. Actually, it talked about the man that was on this. And we talked about at the very beginning that God loved us so much that he sent his son. And I, I will tell you up front, let me look you dead in the eye and tell you this. Religion will do nothing for you. Religion is a taskmaster. It's all it is. I am not telling you about religion today. I am telling you about a relationship with the one and only creator God through His Son, Jesus Christ. I know that sounds far-fetched, but aren't you glad it is? And today, God is saying, if you'll put faith and trust in my Son, Jesus Christ, and what He did on the cross, I'll forgive your sins. I will walk with you through this thing called life, and when those hard times come, I'll be there to help you make the right decisions. And, and yeah, and yeah, yeah, when your blessings come like raindrops... I'll be there. I, I, I probably can't stop the raindrops, but I'll be there. Well, I could. But in this world, he probably won't. If it takes a thousand nights, I'll be there. I don't want to tell you to be a Baptist. Man, I invite you like 36 years ago it was for me when Jesus looked at Dwayne Taylor and said, Hey, come follow me. And I want to tell you, after 36 years, I may not have always been faithful, but he's never failed me. He's never failed me. That's the first part of the decision time. And the second is this. What are you going to do with this? Now, please, I would be so disappointed if you came up to me after church and said, you know, I, I'm really glad you preached that because my husband needed to hear that. 
You know, I'm so glad you preached that because the guy sitting over there, the guy in the purple shirt, that Kevin guy, boy, does he need that. That would break my heart. Because what I'm trying to tell you is this. Either all of us have needed, need, or will need this truth. Because all of us, to some level and some degree, have acted irresponsibly and impacted others. Can I read them one more time? No, I really will be done. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence. For out of it springs the issues of life. Would you bow your heads with me, please? About this time, I would normally say my brother Brent would be down front. And we certainly want to remember him in prayer today as he's at his conference. But I'll be down front today. If you're here and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, I just want to tell you, the lie you've been hearing about God being a bunch of rules and it's no fun being a Christian and all of that, it's just that. It's a lie. And I want to invite you to come. I know I'll have the people bow their heads, though. I want to invite you to come and say, Dwayne, I want to know this God who loves me that much that he allowed his son Jesus to come and die for my sin. And God, God knows I, I've messed my life up. He looks down from heaven and he sees I've made a mess of it. And if I understand you right, Dwayne, you're saying he'll forgive me of that and help me walk the rest of my day. That's what I'm saying. Come and take me by the hand. I've got some friends who will be glad to pray with you about that very issue. And for my brothers and sisters, all of us who have acted irresponsible at one time or another, now's our chance to say, okay, God, I'm going to choose to be more responsible. I'm going to choose to be more responsible. I'm going to Read the Bible for life. I'm going to put the word in my heart so that my standard becomes your standard and not that of the world. I choose to be responsible. If we can pray about anything, if there's an illness in your life, something's going on, the altar's open, and we'll be glad to pray with you about that. If you're interested in becoming a part of our fellowship, we'll be glad to pray with you about that. If there's anything we can do today, that's what we want to do. Let's pray. Thanks, God. Thank you very much. Father, I praise you for your word. And I praise you for the truth of it. And Father, I'm glad we can look back some 3,000 years and see a story from your word that's as fresh as this morning's headlines. Help us to learn, Father, from Aiken's experience so that we don't have to walk down that road. Teach us, Father, rather than blame you. Father, when we know what the word says, simply to obey. Have your way, Father. I, Holy Spirit, oh, I invite you, I ask you, I plead with you to move to this room like a fresh breeze. Draw men, women, students, children into relationship with the great Savior Jesus, the great Redeemer. And for those, those of us who already follow you, Jesus, would you just draw us closer to you? Have your way with us. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.